0: This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2016. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. of us kind of sit down with a cup of coffee and um, you know you need something strong when you start reflecting on your life and you sit down with a cup of coffee and you start thinking about you know how things have turned out and how things have been and um, yeah just a few weeks ago I was 50 years of age and I started thinking about my life thinking really it has been a journey and uh, the Christian life because I've been on this journey now for 30 years it's sometimes it is a sprint and we feel like we're really dashing through ministry and exciting things happening. And it sounds like exciting things are happening in Moira. And other times it feels like we're kind of marathon running. You know, you're kind of gritting your teeth and you just kind of keep going. And, um, and that's what we do. But we're staying faithful to the Lord. And as I was thinking about that, I thought to myself, you know, life is full of highs And lows, that's part of the race. You know, you're climbing up hills, it's tough work, and you think, I'm never going to get to the top, but you grit your teeth and you keep going. And then sometimes you're coming down the hill, and the wind's behind you, and it's all great, and everything's happy. Um, So life's full of highs and lows. And just recently, as I hit my 50th birthday, I was thinking about some highs that I have had recently. Um, At Christmas, my son who's 25, my eldest son, he's serving God in a church in America. And he came home and um, brought his wife with him. And my wife had a big smile on her face for two weeks. And it was great to see Josh come home at Christmas. That was a high. And uh, I had Christmas Day off and a few days over Christmas, so that was nice for me as well. That was a high. Um, Last year... Um, I should inform you, actually, I'm no longer now an Assemblies of God minister in a local church. I still have my credentials, um, but I have an itinerant ministry with my wife. Friday night, I'm every Friday night, normally in Swindon in the Assemblies of God church where we pioneered a youth work. So we do King's Youth on Friday nights. I'm on the road on Sundays. If I'm not on the road, I'm in my home church and, and life's pretty busy. And then during the week... I'm working for an organisation called Langley House Trust and Langley House Trust is a Christian organization that houses and helps ex offenders get back on their feet again. And um, just to kind of put some context to that, we have people, we have about 16 homes around the country. We look after a thousand people a year as an organization, and two percent of the people we look after go on to commit another crime. So, 98 percent of the people we look after and we work with the police and with probation service um, 98% of those people get back on their feet and begin to live a decent life in the community again that's pretty good isn't it so we're Christian we pray with the guys I actually run a midweek bible study in the the home Um, I do you know pastoral work with the guys as well if someone comes down at 11 o'clock at night and they've got a headache I'll give them a tablet if that's right for them but I'll also pray for them as well so it's great to be able to kind of serve in That way um, and work with them. Well last year my my manager called me into the office and and I thought I was in trouble and uh, she said don't look worried Um, you've been nominated for an award and I said what's that then? She said you've been nominated for the Heart of Langley and that's for the person on the staff team throughout the whole uh, the UK who um, embodies the vision of Langley and basically goes above and beyond. And I'm thinking, you've got the wrong person here. She said, no, you've been nominated for it and you've got it as well. And whether you like it or not, you can't say no. You are on a train next week to the house of lords and you're going to get an award there and meet some important people and you better put a shirt and tie on and look smart so i went to the house of lords and to be honest with you you know it was a great occasion and let's face it when we um all work hard a little pat on the back you know it does make you feel good doesn't it and you feel you can go a bit further so that's some of the highs just in the last few months um but are you ready for some lows do you want me to be transparent yeah some of you are saying yeah go on tell us about the lows well for the last couple of years you know now I've hit 50 okay I'm beginning to notice that old age doesn't come on its own and I'm getting shoulder pain and, and you know i have prayed about it and um, you know I've kind of fasted and prayed and got other people to lay hands on me I've walked out the front had oil anointed on me and, and, uh, and I believe in all those things and God is a healer yes Um, but sometimes you know the healing doesn't come straight away and when you're living with um, a degree of pain um, you might think you're 50, you've just got a little bit of shoulder pain. You're lucky. How much time have you got with my pain? I understand that. But pain is relative to the person, isn't it? And um, so I've been kind of going through shoulder pain and had x-rays and all sorts of things. And it turns out it's nothing dodgy. It's muscular. It's probably my age, probably posture and everything else. Need to do the exercises, need to stay healthy. And now and again, pop a little naproxen anti-inflammatory tablet and uh, that's it. Happy days. So that was one low. But there's a really bad low. Are you ready for a really bad low? Pastor David's looking worried now. He's thinking like, I shouldn't have invited this guy to come and speak. <laughs> Don't like transparent preachers. Makes me feel uncomfortable. No, but last year I took one of the guys I look after to Curry's. He's got learning difficulties. We went to Curry's, and uh, he had a, a DVD machine that needed to be taken back. And uh, because I helped him, I realized he had just one day left on his warranty, and uh, then it would have been passed. So I dashed him down there. It was pouring down with rain when we got there. I poured onto the car park, one of these kind of out-of-town kind of shopping places. Curry's is there. There's like 100 spaces to park in. And I don't know why I did it, but there was just one car parked in the car park. And I went towards that one car, kind of magnetically got drawn towards it. Turned out to be a really nice, shining, uh, British racing green Rolls Royce. How about that? And I parked by the side of it. But as I got close to it, I suddenly thought, this guy's got learning difficulties. He's going to open up the door and go bang against the car door, the roller. And I could just see it happening. I didn't want any issues. So I just kind of parked just a little bit, only a little bit, about that much, on the bay next to me. There's 100 parking spaces free. It's raining. No one's shopping at Curry's apart from us. So we went into Curry's. And uh, it took him ages to decide what he wanted. But eventually, after about an hour, he came out with a big smile on his face. And I took him to the van, opened up his door. And he said, oh, thanks, Rich, for helping me. No problem at all. That's what I'm here for, you know. And um, I go around to my side of the van. And there right in front of my kind of viewing uh, on the windscreen is one of those kind of envelopes, plasticky with, uh, you know, the sellotape stuff all around it. And uh, this guy says, uh, oh, someone's left a note. I said, yeah, they have. <laughs> if I'm not going to let them know what it is. So I kind of stealthily opened it. £95 for parking a foot on the other bay. I mean, there was 100 spaces. There was somebody, a parking person with a little uniform on and their little peak cap and their little gadget. And, and they were just waiting. I mean, I was just a big fat target that morning and... Uh, I tell you I went back to my office. I confessed my sin to the manager. And she said, well, you know, it's your responsibility. You're the driver. So I got my credit card out, picked up the phone, phoned the number, and £95 was reduced to £65. Well, that was a hard phone call, but nothing like the next phone call to my wife, okay, because she wasn't happy. So I paid the money, and that was it. But I've got to be honest with you. Now, I've been a Christian for 30 years, and little niggly things I should have crucified by now. Okay? Um, but I don't know what it was. And if you're a parking attendant here this morning, I, I, I'm i sorry now. But I suddenly saw parking attendants, these people with the little gadgets and what, and peaked caps and bandanas around and what have you. I saw them as like, the scum, you know? <laughs> worst job ever. They're the enemy. <laughs> you know? And. and, and we laugh about sometimes, you know, you read about the root of bitterness, be careful. But seriously, something got inside of me. I got really kind of resentful about authority. And, so, and I work with authority. I work with the police and everything, you know. So I kind of got resentful about all that and it kind of simmered away. Well, if, literally a few weeks later, I'm going to youth on Friday night. My wife's with me in the car. We park up outside our building, a bit like yours really. You, you have to park round the side when the park... Car park. So I park in a car park is only two pounds, okay, for all night, so That's pretty good. So I park in there, and this time I'm parking very carefully in the bays. So I've learnt my lesson. You'd be pleased to know, I've learnt my lesson. So I've learnt my lesson. But I walk across the car park to pay him a machine, and then I saw him. <laughs> the man with the peak cap, the blue uniform, the gadgets strapped to his body, and he's he's laying a ticket on someone's windscreen and the red mist descended. I know it was wrong, but I got my ticket and ran going back to my car. My wife was seeing what was happening. She clocked that something wasn't good and she was getting out of the car. And I could see her kind of looking at me, but I thought, if I don't look at her, then that'd be fine. And I went to this guy and he had his uniform on and I literally marched right up to him on this Friday night and said, you having a nice day then? <laughs> And this guy was a professional. I mean, he was trained not to kind of, you know, retaliate or anything. And I was so cross. You're having a nice day doing this, making somebody else's day really happy, aren't you? And my wife is saying, Richard, Richard, like this. And she's got an invisible lead because wives have leads, don't they? When they take their husbands out. And she's kind of dragging me back like this verbally across the car park. And then to top it all, this guy's got a camera He's put a a ticket on someone's car and he's got a camera and he's doing all this kind of stuff. So I went back to him again and I said, do you think you're David Bailey then? (laughs) Famous photographer. Lynn dragged me into the church. When the doors of the church were shut and it was just Lynn and me in the church. And man, she was quick. I tell you what. She convicted me faster than the Holy Spirit. She got in there so quick before the Holy Spirit. And she said, What a disgrace. You're in assemblies of God pastor. You go to Elamine, you go to schools, and you're a youth leader. You've been to the House of Lords, and look at you. What a stinking attitude. And do you know what? She was right. Thirty years. You know, I've been kind of dealing with things and the big stuff like swearing and smoking and all the things that we kind of look superficially on when, when people get saved and you know, those things kind of drop off and we kind of crucify the flesh. 30 years I've been following Jesus. I, I can't remember how many times I've spoken to how many people. And there I am getting upset over a silly little thing like that. And tell you, shall I tell you something, that was probably one of the worst moments of, of the close of a year because I let Jesus down, I let my wife down, I let the young people down, I let LMI down, I let everybody down, above all, I let myself down. And I've been really transparent with you this morning because, you know, we can joke about it, but it's the attitude, isn't it? And, you know, I just thought I failed. You know, coming up to 50 should be, should be a joyous occasion that I've allowed that root of bitterness to take over my life over something as stupid as that. But I want to say to you this morning, despite that stupidity on that Friday night in the Swindon car park, despite these things, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give up because Christ didn't die for me on the cross just for me to give up over something silly like that. I need to grow up, maybe. And I'm glad the scripture says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, For I know in whom I have believed, And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And so I'm glad that as I got on my knees and I prayed and I confessed my sin, and I had a little bit of a choky moment with God. And when I confessed my sin, I'm glad I can tell you this one that actually that is now in the past. I've told you it as an illustration, but it's in the past because God is gracious and he's forgiven me and he's washed me clean and I'm glad that I know in whom I believed I have a father in heaven I believe passionately in him I know in whom I have believed and I'm persuaded that despite that stupidity on Friday night despite that silliness that carnality of flesh despite all that that which I've committed unto him my 30 years of serving witnessing giving going to church trying to be faithful in all the things that i've tried to be faithful in he's still holding on to those things and, and you know we sometimes do fall and that's why the bible says the steps of a good man or good person are ordered by the lord and even though they stumble the lord upholds him by his powerful hand and i had a stumble And maybe you've had a stumble even recently. But I want to tell you that we serve a God that actually holds us and gives us a second chance. Aren't you glad about that? And I'm glad that actually as I was thinking about God, I need a new start. I'm 50. I failed as I came to the end of that last decade. I need a new start. Aren't you glad this morning that we are worshipping a God? We are loving a God. We are serving a God who says, I like to do new things. I like to turn over the page. I like to give people. People, a brand new start in life that's our God and the Bible says in Isaiah 43 um, forget all that is in the past it is nothing to what I'm going to do for I'm about to do something new God loves doing new things Ezekiel 36 hey this is a good one for me verse 26 God says I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Father, that's what I need all the time. I need God to touch my heart. Do you need God to touch your heart this morning? Well, he can do that because he loves to do it. Maybe the last few weeks maybe the last couple of months, maybe even since the beginning of the year, you just feel disappointed. I mean, I was disappointed at how I behaved. I didn't realise that stupidity was still in me. I mean, I'm supposed to be a grown-up. And I didn't realise that was still there. But it, you know, when you get shaken, you know, it's not till you're shaken, you realise what's inside. You shake a cereal box, and when you shake it, you see what comes out, Cocoa Pops or whatever. But I was shaken and, and something good, not good came out of me and I needed a new start and God gave me up. But I was disappointed still, still disappointed at how I reacted. And maybe you're disappointed this morning at how things have turned out already. Maybe this last week hasn't been good. Maybe you're disappointed in your family. Maybe you're disappointed in your ministry. Maybe you're disappointed in the community, at your place of work. You know, we all get disappointed at times, and you need to know something. That At times when we get disappointed, we sometimes think that we're isolated. It's just us. No one else knows about our disappointment. You can't possibly understand what I'm going through because I'm so gutted. I'm so disappointed, so disillusioned with it all, so fed up. Just can't see a way forward. You need to understand something. We have a father in heaven that understands disappointment. Genesis chapter 6 reveals the heart of God. And I think personally, this is probably one of the most sad verses I've ever read in the Bible. And it's in the context of Noah's day and the flood. And it says this, God saw that human evil was out of control people fought evil imagined evil 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 from morning until night god was sorry that he made the human race in the first place it broke his heart that's what the scripture says we sometimes think God doesn't understand. He does. God understands disappointment because it didn't work out the way he'd hoped. It broke his heart. God was disappointed in the days of the prophet Jeremiah because, you know, the people again had been given lots of opportunities. God is constantly reaching out to us. And God was reaching out to his people, longing for Them to come and to worship him, to adore him, to live their lives the way that he had decreed. And and the people were hard hearted and there was a form of religion, but you know, they were far from God and God was disappointed then. And the Bible tells us in Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 15. That God's disappointment is seen again because God says there that um, he was disappointed because his people had left him. He said, my people have left me to worship the big lie. And I want to say that that big lie was the same in the Garden of Eden as it was in Jeremiah's day and it's the same as it is today in our day right now here in Moira because people are believing the big lie. They're worshipping the big lie. They're believing the big lie. And the big lie is simply this. It's packaged in different ways but it's essentially this throughout the the centuries that mankind thinks that he can live without God. We don't need God. We don't need his ways, we don't need his word, we don't need his principles, we don't need his mercy, we don't need God. We can do life better without God. That's the big lie. And the devil's been pretty good at packaging it to to centuries and centuries of communities of people. And tragically, tragically, it seems that the majority believe that lie. Aren't you glad you met the truth in Jesus? God didn't wipe the floor with his people but he raised up Jeremiah and he used Jeremiah to speak to his people. And I'd just like you to turn just very briefly this morning just to a couple of verses in Jeremiah chapter 18. You see God is speaking all the time sometimes through the scripture sometimes through, the, through preaching and teaching sometimes In churches like this, through the gifts of the Spirit, sometimes through the counsel of other Christians, God is speaking all the time. God is always speaking, and He's always wanting to communicate to His people. And here in Jeremiah 18, we see God communicating again. Verse 1 This is the word the Lord spoke to Jeremiah Go down to the potter's house, and I will give you my message there so I went down to the potter's house and saw him working at the potter's wheel he was using his hands to make a pot from clay but something went wrong with it so he used the clay to make another pot the way he wanted it to be then the Lord spoke his word to me family of Israel can I not do the same with you says the Lord you are in my hands like the clay in the potter's hands Now you don't have to be a theologian this morning to understand this very simple little passage of scripture. God is speaking to Jeremiah. Jeremiah is told to go to the potter's house and when he gets down to the potter's house he notices something. Maybe he stands by a doorway. Maybe he looks through a window but there is this potter at his wheel and the potter's sitting on a little stool there's a wheel in front of him he's got a bucket of water or something to kind of wet the clay he's got a big mound of clay by his side and behind him are some shelves with pots that have already been made Uh, this guy is making pots for his livelihood he's a professional person and he's making these clays he's creative with the clay making pots and as this is happening maybe jeremiah got down and just saw him finishing you know one particular pot and jeremiah's watching thinking like lord what are you going to say to me You know, you you, you kind of say all sorts of things to me. um, But what are you saying to me in this context? What are you trying to tell me? What do I need to see? And as Jeremiah's looking, he notices the potter gets another lump of clay and he puts it on his wheel and starts the process of making something out of that clay. And as the potter is trying to make something out of the clay, the clay goes all squishy and funny in his hands. It reminds me of the... Who who can remember the Generation Game on TV years ago? Put your hand up. Yeah, there's a few of you daring to say you're old enough to watch the Generation Game with Bruce Forsyth, you know. And they would put families on there doing all sorts of fun things. And often they would get someone who's really good at doing something, a professional, and they would make it look easy. And then the families would have a go. And I always remember the, the fun times when they would get a potter on there. The potter would make this amazing pot or urn out of the clay. It'd be all squishy. And in moments, it would just rise up into something beautiful. And then you'd get the father and daughter and the mother and son. And they'd be having a go. And it would be going all over the place. I mean, there'd be wet clay just coming off the wheel onto onto the, the people. They'd have the aprons on, coming towards the TV camera. And, and Bruce Forsyth would go up and down. He'd be saying, like, good game, good game. And the clay's going everywhere. It was the right mess okay and it was it was probably looking a little bit like that with the potter and Jeremiah's thinking like i, I need to get out of the way here because this potter is going to pick up the clay he's obviously disappointed with that he's going to throw it out through the window because it's not worth anything and it's a mess and it was at that point jeremiah realizes something's going on here because the potter's looking at the clay And the potter sees value in the clay and he's not throwing it out through the window even though it looks a mess because the potter's got vision for the clay. The potter knows that that clay can still be of use. It didn't turn out the way he wanted it to turn out. Maybe that was a disappointment but the potter was not going to give up even though there was a disappointment. And the potter got his hands on the clay again and turns the wheel and his hands are wet and suddenly out of a squishy mess a pot forms right in the eyes of jeremiah and jeremiah's kind of open mouth looking at his creation rising up off the wheel and then god says can i not do with you israel as the potter does with the clay in other words God was saying to Jonah I want you to tell my people yes I am disappointed at the way things are turned out and maybe they're disappointed at the way things are turned out but you need to do something can I not do with you as the potter did with the clay God can break through disappointments and he can do far beyond our wildest dreams and imaginations God can do anything And Jeremiah got this understanding then that God was the potter and that we are the clay. And God can break through disappointments. If you are here this morning, I want to encourage you and tell you, you might feel your life at the moment is disappointing. It might be beyond disappointing. It might be like the mess on the potter's reel and your life's going round and round and round like the mess of clay on the wheel. And you think, I just want to get off. You know, I've had enough of all this. It's so disappointing. This is not how I thought it was going to be. But God can break through all that because he's the potter. And we get impatient. We want to jump off the wheel. But God knows what he's going to do. I tell you this morning, he can do anything. Can I not do with you? God says to us this morning. Of course he can. God can do anything you know. Far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us. His spirit deeply and gently within us. God can make a pearl from grit in a shellfish. He can make an emerald from squishy clayey substance. He can make a diamond from carbon. And he can make a spirit-filled saint out of a sinner. Do you believe that? To think, you know, 30 years ago, or just beyond that really, when I was a teenager, I was in a right mess. I mean, no one wanted to get their hands on me because I was into drugs. I was into pornography. I was into crime. I've been sharing my story this week in the schools. 1,500 young people have heard my story of how I was brought up in children's homes, how I made some foolish choices, and with every choice I made, there were bad consequences. I I was taken from one place to the next, and as a youngster, desperately wanting to be loved, when I was placed into the children's home, uh, and I was told that you know my real mum didn't want to see me ever again, that she didn't love me, she didn't care for me. I tell you, it wrecked me emotionally and at the age of about 10 I made a decision that it was me against the world I felt rejected I felt like a nobody's kid I felt like the dented tins on the shelf of a supermarket that no one wants to buy even though they've been reduced in price I felt so isolated as a little boy and in the children's home I decided it was me against the world and whilst I was going out and and breaking the law I was getting a buzz from doing that and that buzz just was a temporary fix for that inner pain and that longing to be accepted and loved and so I kept going for quick fixes but the quick fixes made my life even worse and by the time I was 13 I was drinking I was smoking I was stealing I was setting fire to places I was a a kind of terror ray and it was awful and at the age of 13 I went to juvenile court and they slapped me on the hand they told me that I was a bad boy I'd even broken into undertakers to steal a coffin to make a go-kart can you believe it it's true and then by the time I was 15 I was in magistrates courts for theft and dishonesty and I got a fine and I didn't pay the fine and I went straight out of there and that very night I went and broke into houses. And one particular house, I can remember breaking into a house at the age of 17 and there was a gun in there, a shotgun. And I thought to myself, what a stupid notion um, that I'm going to saw off a barrel and put it in a bag. I'm going into post offices and I'm going to get money because I want money to kind of have a nice life like other people. I'm going to steal money. And if someone gets in the way between me and the money, I'm putting that trigger. At the age of 17, thinking that, crazy. Thankfully, a car came back on the driveway and I scarpered out through the back window without stealing the gun. But eventually I got arrested. And at 17, I, I was sent to... Um, Dorchester prison, and I was languishing in a cell waiting to be sentenced at Crown Court. Uh, and whilst I was in that cell at 17, I thought, What have I done? I've wasted my life, you know, like the squishy clay that looks rubbish. And I had no vision for my life, I had no vision for the future. In fact, I felt that life was so painful it would be better to commit suicide. I really didn't want to live any longer because I really felt no one loved me. That's how I felt. And I can remember rolling up the sheet on the bed and making a, a kind of rope out of it. And I tied it to the bars in a tiny little cell block window of a, of a, a punishment cell that I'd been thrown into. And uh, and then I stood on a radiator pipe. Now this radiator pipe was literally this high off the ground. And I put the noose around my neck and I thought, this is it, I'm going to die. I, I, I want to die because life is too painful. That's pretty sad, isn't it, when you're 17? That's, you want to get off the planet because like you're so hurting inside and I didn't know how long I was going to spend inside prison and I thought do you know what no one cares anyway no one's going to cry over my corpse in this cell and that was it and I went to hang myself um, and it was literally like that and as I went to hang myself the first of two miracles happened as I went to hang myself a tangible yet invisible hand reached out of nowhere and pushed me back against the wall and took the noose off my neck and and lowered me gently to the floor i didn't know it then But a Baptist church in Bournemouth, a very big church, had read about my case. And some of the home groups, the life groups, read about the case in the local paper, read about how I'd been in social care all my life and how I'd broken all these laws and was was now waiting sentencing at uh, Bournemouth Crown Court. And they said, we dare to believe that God loves this young man and that God can change his life and that God has a vision for his life and God can save him. And they prayed. And when you pray, things happen. And I tell you, that was a miracle. Well, I was given four years youth custody and I was sent to another prison and I was locked up for 23 hours a day and I had nothing to do. And one day I saw a red book on the floor of the cell. I picked it up as a young man. For the first time in my life, I picked up a Bible and I opened it. Not because I was looking for truth, but because I was bored. But as I picked up that Bible, I discovered something. I discovered that I had been wrong as a teenager. You see, I thought no one loved me I thought no one cared for me yet the Bible says God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son and suddenly the love of God began to impact my life it was like this revelation came upon me it was almost like I had this understanding that if I walked up to God he'd get his wallet out and in his wallet would be a little photograph of me You know, I had this kind of revelation that hey, if you if you walked into God's kitchen in heaven, and He's got a big kitchen, and on the wall there's got one of those great big fridges, there would be a fridge magnet with your photograph on it, and yours, even Alan's, (laughs) because He loves us. And this revelation of the love of God hit me so much that I came to a place. I realized I didn't want to die inside prison, and, and the Jesus of the Bible was very powerful transforming lives and I dared to believe that he could change mine. Nine o'clock on the 19th of December, 1984, I got on my knees on my own in my prison cell and I asked God to save me. And the second miracle happened. I meant business with God and I asked God to save me. And it was just like Jesus walked into the prison cell with a black bin bag and he said, Richard, give me all that filth. And he took out all the filth, the stealing, the pornography, the alcohol, the drugs, all the wretched stuff that had got me in such a mess in the first place. He took it all away, but he didn't leave me empty. He put treasure in my life like he offers all of us. His love, his joy, his peace. He gave me his presence his very self, to come and live in my heart. He gave me a tremendous sense of forgiveness and a new start in life. Wow. I tell you, God can do anything. And so for the last 30 years, despite the stupidity in the car park, On the whole, I have to tell you, it's been the most amazing, extraordinary life. I'm so glad that I became a Christian. I am so grateful for the grace of God. I am so grateful that God can do anything. And I'm glad that although my life looked a mess and although the judge said, take him down four years, although the probation and the psychoanalysis and all the other people in the prison, even the chaplain, all said that I would kind of rot inside jail because they had no vision for me. But God had a vision. God had a vision. And God has vision for you. And if you're here this morning and you're saying, Richard, I need change. Well, I tell you this morning, God has the power to help you to change. You say, Richard, I need help. Hey, God specialises in reaching down to rock bottom. Really. His arm's not shortened he can't save. His ear isn't hardened, but he can't hear your cry. You might be at rock bottom right now and you might think, I'm so disappointed. I'm disappointed in my marriage. I'm disappointed in my job. I'm disappointed with my health. I'm disappointed with my finance. And you might feel that you're really at rock bottom for whatever reason. And God says, hey, I can hear your cry. I can reach down and touch you. You could be sitting in church Sunday morning Moira Pentecostal Church and you might have come in with a nice suit on, nice smile. Good morning Pastor David. But let's face it, we've all come to church at times with smiles but behind the smile we're breaking inside and we're saying we need need to touch God. We need to touch from God. We need to touch God and this morning God says that he can do anything. He understands disappointment but he says can I not do with you as the potter did with the clay. And you need to understand as we leave this morning that God has an amazing vision for your life. You might not think that you can see any good for the future. But Jeremiah 29, 11 still stands where God says, I know what I'm do- doing. I've got it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not to abandon you. Plans to give you a bright future that you hope for. Hey, your future is so bright that when God looks at it, he puts the shades on. God has an amazing future for you and you know there are times in my life when I think I just can't see that because I'm so full of what's happening now but God sees beyond now and he says I know what I'm going to do and I want to encourage you this morning the potter is God and you have a clay in his hands and God says listen you might not have hope for the future right now today but I've got hope for the future, I've got a vision for your life, and it's gonna be okay, it's gonna be good. So be at rest, be at peace, leave this place in peace this morning, because although you might not be able to say it, God says, I'm doing something new, and I have a future for you, that's gonna be amazing, and bright, and full of life. And then the potter, not only had vision, but he had to place his hands upon the clay. And you say, I don't know if I'm ready for that. Well, if you want God to do something for you, you have to let him get his hands upon you this morning. And you say, well, I feel a bit uncomfortable about that. I feel a bit vulnerable. You're kind of opening up to God and, and maybe you've never really done that fully, but you have to let him get his hands upon you. That's a scary thing. God Almighty reaching out and grabbing hold of your life. But I say this this morning, if a man can carry a cross, For a street of jeering people, if a man can be stripped of his clothes and and then be laid upon a cross and have nails put through his hands and his feet and then be hung up to die for us, I say that man has won the right to put his hands upon my life. And I tell you, when God reaches out to touch you this morning, if you let him, if you look, you'll see that his hands are nail-pierced. He took the nails for us. I say that man loves us to bits. I say, that man won't harm us, but he'll heal us and he'll do us good. Trust him this morning. Let God get his hands upon you. Let God do something new in your life this morning. Let God begin to mould you and make you again this morning. Trust him. He knows what he's doing. Can I not do with you as the potter did with the clay? Yes, God can. But the important question is this morning, not whether God can, because he can exceedingly abundantly above our wildest dreams and imagination. The question we have to ask ourselves this morning is this, will we let God do something new and amazing in our lives? God bless you. Thank you for listening to this podcast.